So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, happy Taylor Swift Sunday. Some people call it the Super Bowl. I'm so grateful to see each and every one of you here today. That was a little fun game we played just a bit ago. I, I, I take umbrage with, I think it was the third or fourth question. I feel like the Brett Favre question, I feel like if I said true, it's still true, even though he exceeded that. I was playing the over and under. I had to sit down in the first service, but congratulations to those of you who won. That is super cool, super fun. We're talking about humility today, which fits some in some strange way, I think, on the Super Bowl weekend. Humility is not oftentimes what I think of when I think about those elite athletes that make it to the top of their game. By the way, if you haven't done this already, grab your Bibles and pull them out. We are turning a corner today, almost rounding the track as we hit chapter 2. We've just wrapped up chapter 1 of Philippians. Let me use that same analogy. If this were a one-mile race, we've just completed one lap, 400 meters. We're around in the corner. We've got three more laps to go, which is a weird and long and drawn-out way of saying we're one-quarter of the way there. As we turn the corner from chapter 1 to chapter 2 of Philippians, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run one more lap together. Then we're going to take a break. We're going to do a, a fun, kind of a creative series leading up to and through Easter and the Sunday after Easter. More on that to come. But what I want you to do right now is mark your calendars for April 8th. If you don't know what April 8th is, you need to know. As I understand it, it's a bit of a local holiday. Schools are shutting down. Why? Because we're in the epicenter of an eclipse event. It's going to be fun. Toward that end, we are planning a block party out here in the backyard that day. Total darkness is like at 3 o'clock-ish. We're going to have some fun that day. We're inviting all of our neighbors, so those neighbors that are walking distance to this property. Think of it like a block party. We want to invite them to come and be a part of just a fun live music, some just festival kind of a vibe out there. You as well. Think about who you could invest in, who you can invite. Maybe it's your one. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Invite somebody to come and be a part of that. People will be looking for an opportunity to do something fun that day. It's going to be a cool thing. You don't want to miss out on it. I'm excited about that. All right. So I've got this plaque in my office. This plaque reminds me of the topic that we're studying today. 
I look at this, I think of one word. It's the word unity. You probably can't read them from there. That's fine. What you need to know is it's covered with some notes, personal notes of encouragement to yours truly. It was given to me, a gift, kind of a going away party. The staff team that I had been a part of and and led for years at that point, I was leaving that church, heading off into the next adventure God was calling our family toward, and they threw a party. It was the kind of party where there were a few tears. And there was a moment after writing these notes, they gathered around me and prayed over me. And I remember that day thinking about that and just wondering, it felt kind of first century to me. I wonder how many times the Apostle Paul, when he was leaving a church like the church in Philippi that we're studying right now, or maybe the church in Ephesus, the church in Thessalonica, when he left one port city and he got on a ship and he went to the next port city with the gospel message moving it forward, I wonder how many times a group of believers gathered around him, maybe they wrote notes of encouragement. Maybe they prayed over him. I suspect they did that. And here he is, some years later, writing a note, a letter of encouragement back to them. It's a beautiful picture of unity. The title of today's message is An Attitude Adjustment. Here's the big idea. If you're tracking along in one of those Philippians journals, you might want to write this down in the margins. When we stumble and bumble by the way we do and we will. If you haven't yet today, just wait. The day is young. When we stumble and bumble, Jesus shows us how to be humble. Isn't that cute? It rhymes. It's kind of the big idea. We're leaning into that today. I would subtitle this big idea, Unity Produces Joy. Remember, we're chasing joy 16 times through this book of Philippians. That word or a variation of it, the word rejoice, is used 16 times, four short chapters. Unity, all together, same mind, rowing together in the same direction, unity produces joy. And Jesus models humility. I was thinking about that big idea, that subtitle. I was thinking about that this past week, and I was remembering a moment when I was a teen. I think I was 14 years old on a hot roof, midsummer. I was working that summer for my uncle. My aunt and my uncle invited me into their home. My mom had just been re-diagnosed with cancer. I think it was part distraction part get me out of my parents' hair for a summer. She was gearing up for chemotherapy, getting ready for a race of about three years after that diagnosis. My uncle took me to work with him, and I remember a moment. I'm learning how to swing a hammer. I'm learning how to drive a nail gun. I'm learning how to be a man, spend time with other men, and I remember being up on this roof and I think of the word unity because up on that roof, we were literally building my uncle's home church building. It was a church plant. They were going into their first building. The pastor of that local church, his name is Eric, was up on the roof with us. And I just remember being struck by the fact that he's a regular guy. I saw humility on display in that moment. 
I remember having conversations with him about theology and about church life. I'm sure my uncle had whispered in his ear what was going on with his sister, my mom. He took an interest in me, spent some time encouraging me, good-natured ribbing and joking and all the good male camaraderie stuff. Unity. Hold on to that thought. I want to look at unity And we're going to spend some time in humility all the while we're chasing joy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's look at the text. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Paul is writing this to the church in Philippi. Having the same love, being in... that one a bit. Do nothing from selfish ambition, or the NIV puts the word vain in there. I like that. Vanity, conceit, selfish ambition. This really is vanity. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. The NIV says more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do me a favor right now. Grab your communion elements. When you came in, they were sitting on the seat. You probably moved them. Now's a good time to shuffle and grab them. Have them right there handy. I want to, as we unpack this passage together, we're going to look at some of those phrases and study them. Consider this an extended communion meditation. We're aiming for unity. I wonder... We're going to take communion all together as a sign and a show, really not just a symbol, but an act of unity. As a church family, we're going to take communion simultaneously at the same time. But I just wonder, is it possible that you're sitting here right now and you know in your heart of hearts and inside your mind, you know that there's somebody, a brother or sister in Christ that you are at odds with right now? I'm reminded, as I think about that, I'm reminded of a passage of Scripture where Jesus teaches on that principle. This is pre-Christian era. How in the world can that be if Jesus is the one teaching? Well, he has not yet died on the cross, been raised to new life. They're still under the Old Testament sacrificial system. They're still under temple worship system. It's in that context that in Matthew chapter 5, he's giving instruction to the people that are listening to him. Look at this. I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Huh. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka. Apparently, that was like the queen mother of all cuss words in the first century. You really meant it if you said that to your brother or sister. If they do, they're answerable to the Sanhedrin. This is the ruling body of the Jewish people. Wow, that must have been a big deal. But anyone who says you fool, which I guess is kind of a slightly lower insult, maybe you would say that to your brother in the backyard when you're playing, will be in danger, get this, of the fire of hell. Therefore, If you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Let's bring that into our context. 
We are living in the Christian era. We do live under the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're getting ready to celebrate that in communion. Maybe, just maybe, today, if you are at odds, disunity, with somebody who is a Jesus follower, maybe, just maybe, the application step from that passage would be to wait on communion this week. This week, if something from the text prompts you, maybe you just pause, and this week your action step is to go and make that right. Bury the hatchet, or at least take the first step toward unity. Maybe there's somebody inside your sphere of influence, somebody who is a Jesus follower, a brother or sister in Christ. Let's be honest, you've had some bad blood between you for years. Jesus describes this as sin. Maybe this week the action step would be to do something about that. Unity produces joy. In the text we just read, there is um, there's some motivation here. There's three aspects of unity. There's motivation, there's nature, and there are attitudes. Let's look at these, and as we do, would I invite you maybe to just do some introspection. Here we go. Unity produces joy by motivation. You could think about these as the what and the why and the how, all right? Motivation. The motivation for having unity produces joy. Did you notice the text said, if we have any encouragement in Christ? If? Really? I need to explain that because it's confusing for our English translation ears. When he says, if there is any encouragement, he's not doubting that there is. This is a Greek phrase. It's a conditional if-then clause. He uses this in other places in letters that he writes, including Galatians chapter 3. Check this out, verse 28 and following. He's saying there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Truth statement. If you belong to Christ, then... Wait, if you just said we are one in Jesus, if you belong, you really could translate this since, since you belong, since you do have encouragement in Christ. You could do that this way as well. You could say since you do have comfort from love. This is the way it works. Jesus comforts you. Then through a lens of unity, your job is to pass that comfort along to your brother or sister in Christ. Because you do have comfort from love. Look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and following. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Count how many times we learn about comfort in these few verses who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Is it? As Jesus comforts you through a lens of unity, are you spilling that over onto others around you? How about this? Since we have participation, you could translate that fellowship in the Spirit. 
Look at 2 Corinthians, the end of this letter in chapter 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Can you imagine? God. The Holy Spirit, one part of the Godhead, the triune God. If you've asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, the Holy Spirit indwells in you. Remind me again, why are we in disunity? Is Jesus, through the form of the Holy Spirit, prompting you right now? Is there something that you need to make right? As you're chasing joy, there might be a disunity issue in your life that you need to chase down. How about this? Since we have affection and sympathy, that's right there in the text as well. Affection. Oh, my goodness, we just read this a few weeks ago in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. For God is my witness. I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Affection. That's a big part of life together. Are there people in your life right now, they don't see affection coming from you, love coming from you. Uh, they feel bitterness. That's disunity. Unity produces joy by motivation. This is the why. It also produces joy through nature. This is the what. The nature of the unity that produces joy. Here's some of the nature. Being like-minded, being literally of the same mind. It means literally to think the same thing. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you in the name of Jesus that you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought, being like-minded. How about this? The nature of having the same love. You do, by the way. If you belong to the family of God, we love the same God. Do we love one another with the same love? How about the nature of being in full accord? The idea of that we are rowing all together in the same direction together. The nature of being one mind. You could also translate this, the NS, or the NASB, the New American Standard Bible says, intent on one purpose. There's power in this. All rowing in the same direction at the same time. I love when the church acts in unity. I, th I feel like we saw that this past fall. Oh, when God uses us in unity, rowing the same direction at the same mind, well, new life. Seven million dollars to advance God's kingdom because we're all rowing in the same direction at the same time. I love that. Unity produces joy by motivation. This would be the why. Through nature, the how. And here's, or rather the what, here's the how with, with attitudes. If you want to know, are you in disunity with another Jesus follower, maybe you explore your attitudes that you have toward them. These are attitudes required for unity, producing joy. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Can you honestly answer the question, yes, that you're not doing that? In a community like ours, filled with type A, go-getter, kill-it-and-drag-it-home kind of people, I bet this is something we wrestle with. We should keep wrestling with this. 
do some heart work before we take communion together. In humility. Literally means lowliness of mind. Humility. Humble is the opposite of vain conceit. We count others more significant than yourselves. The NIV says you count others better than yourself. I love this in Romans chapter 12. Paul is basically giving a challenge to the Roman church, and he's saying, hey, listen, would you try to outdo one another? In the spirit of competition on a day like the Super Bowl, he's saying, outdo one another in your trying to count others more significant than yourselves. He puts it this way. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. See if you can outdo one another as you do that. Look out for the interests of others. Romans chapter 15 says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, and it was written, by the way, in the book of Psalms a long time before Jesus actually did this, but this is the work that Jesus did on the cross. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. With those words, I don't know what the Holy Spirit is prompting you with right now. If you would like to join in this moment as a sign and a show of unity. In reality, in unity. As the body of Christ, could we do this all together with one accord, facing the same direction? The night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body. It's broken for y'all. So whenever y'all do this, do this in remembrance of me. Church, would you join me now? In a moment of unity, would you remember Jesus? That same night, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this is a new covenant. This is a new thing. Whenever you drink this cup, this is my blood being poured out for you. Would you do this? Remember me. Church, would you join me now in remembering Jesus? Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we thank you for your body broken. We thank you for your blood shed. We thank you that we're not playing church. We're asking the tough questions. So, Lord, would you continue to convict our hearts if there's something that's between us and someone else who also is your child? Continue to whisper in our ears, convict us, move us toward action as we read and study our model, humility that yields unity. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I told you a story a bit ago about my freshman, between my freshman and sophomore year of high school. I went to live with my uncle. My uncle passed away this past week. Tuesday night, I, I got word that my uncle Don passed away. A few years ago, I got to spend some time with him. I told you about riding around in a red work truck. He'd take me to work with him. We'd, we posed for this picture just a few years ago. 
Wednesday morning, I, I sent a, a note to my aunt and my, my cousins, my Aunt Marilyn, my cousins Kara, Matt, Kristen, and the family. I addressed the letter to them. Listen to this. I read this news last night, and I've been praying for you since. This is Wednesday morning. We talk about nine at nine. Often I shared this with our staff team. Our staff team just gathered, and we all lifted you up in prayer. Truth be told, I've been thinking of you and praying for you all often over the last few months. Dawn and I bought a new-to-us house a couple of months ago, and during evenings and on days off, we're practicing time travel, remodeling it from 1980 to 2024. I've done a bit of time travel inside my memories as well. I've lost track of the number of times I've reached for a hammer or saw and thought of my Uncle Don and the opportunity I had to work for him. Your family was so kind to me the summer of 1989 between my freshman and sophomore years of high school. You opened your home to me that summer right after my mom's cancer diagnosis came back. Good things happened that summer in my young heart. I watched The Little Mermaid about 100 times. Kristen, I'm writing to my cousin here. I still think of you. She was tiny when I hear that movie referenced. I enjoy a bit of teen uh, normalcy, just hanging out with Kara and Matt, other cousins of mine. Saturday Night Live makes me think of you, and the Sam's Club parking lot reminds me of goofing around with Matt. Aunt Marilyn, you are so encouraging, it's hard for me to picture you without a smile on your face. And my Uncle Don took me to work with him. By the way, when I think of him, the word humility fits. That summer was formative for me. I remember conversations about life and hard work. I remember conversation, uh, uh, conversations about God's church and the hope that we have while literally framing, building, roofing Blue Ridge Christian Church. And mostly, I remember the be with factor, getting to ride around in Uncle Don's red work truck with him and learning from his quiet steadiness. Again, that summer was healing and formative for my young heart. I'm eternally grateful. My cousin Alan had broken the news, and I said, well said, Alan, we grieve and we rejoice. My favorite passage for a funeral of a Jesus follower is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. We do not grieve as like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, including my Uncle Don. And so today, as I'm grieving with you and praying for you all and the loss you're feeling, I'm smiling as I think about the reunions that Uncle Don must be experiencing right now in heaven. I praise God for hope. And you know what? That last sentence is timeless. Christians have been praising God for hope since Paul penned this letter we're studying right now. Here in a bit, we're going to continue in worship by singing a song. And uh, it's one of my favorite songs. It's called In Christ Alone. I love when we sing it together as a church family. I oftentimes get a little misty-eyed. I bet that when the early church sang the song we're getting ready to read right now, I bet they got a little misty-eyed as they thought about the powerful lyrics, what it means. The song we're getting ready to sing or ready to read. Well, we can sing it. Can I get a volunteer to come up with me? And I'm going to have you sing this song for everybody else. No? 
That's all right. You don't have to. There's no sheet music that has survived. The lyrics have. Most scholars agree they call it the Christ hymn. Paul is quoting a song that the early church, especially the church in Philippians, would have sung out loud. So this is the oldest surviving CCM worship song from the first century. Here are the powerful lyrics. Have this mind among yourselves, from which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Paul is saying, you want unity? You want to chase joy through unity? You need humility. You know who's your model for humility? Jesus, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. They would have sung this song. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." He's saying, hey, you want the mind of Christ? You want unity? You want to chase joy with unity? You need some humility. This song is filled with Christology. It's filled with the idea, the nature and the work of Jesus. What did we say earlier? This message is subtitled, Unity Produces Joy. Hmm. Jesus models humility so that when we stumble and we bumble, and we do, and we will. Jesus shows us how to be humble. We just read it. Straight from the text, could we grab some application here? Jesus models humility, what did it say? By lacking selfish ambition or vain conceit. How are you doing in that area? Can I remind you that before his incarnation, before Jesus came into the flesh to be a model for us, oh my goodness, he was in the form of God. Check this out, John chapter 1. You talk about somebody who didn't need to be humble. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. By the way, if he didn't pull it out of there, Jesus was always equal with God. Can you imagine somebody that does not need to be humble? And yet he models it for us. The text says, but he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. In other words, a thing to grab a hold of and clench and hold tightly and not let go of. Here's the question. Do we have the mind of Christ? You, me, us, through a lens of unity? Are we living with a lens of humility? Jesus models humility by lacking selfish ambition or vain conceit. Also, by looking out for the interests of others. When Jesus became a flesh, he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He didn't come as king. He came as a poor carpenter's son. He came born in the likeness of men. This means that Jesus, as a teenager, knew what it was like to wake up with a pimple on his nose. Can you even imagine such a thing? And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? 
because he did this all for the sake of others, for you, for me, for your one, for your neighbor, for your coworker who does not yet know Jesus. Here's the question. When they look at us, hmm, do they see humility? Do we have the mind of Christ? I can't answer that for you. You have to wrestle that through together with him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Jesus models humility by lacking selfish ambition, vain conceit, by looking out for the interests of others. Notice what happens. Cause and effect, maybe, and he becomes highly exalted by God. These things happen. God says, you're exalted. This applies to Jesus. In a big way, this applies to Jesus. You notice there in this, the hymn, the Christ hymn, the song that they sang, it happened in the present. By giving him the name today, currently, in that moment, that is above every name. It happened in the present. It also happened through that lens in the future. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This will happen in the future. Can I point out this to you? This applies to us as well. When we chase joy with unity. And we do it by humbling ourselves and leaning into humility as a discipline in our lives. This applies to us. Do we have the mind of Christ? Do you? How are you doing in that area? I was looking through my pictures this past week. And I found that picture of the red truck and kind of smiled. And through my grief, I smiled. I couldn't help but notice this picture as well. My uncle, who I know was walking with Jesus, had just passed away, and that made me smile. Now listen, I know that that's not, we just read, the glory of heaven revealed in us, but I do believe it's symbolic. When he died, well, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. He went to be with Jesus. Paul just wrestled with this in the book of Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean much fruitful labor for me. What shall I do? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But I'm going to stay. I'm going to stick around because you need me. I said this in passing last week. You're a saint. Paul addresses the saints in Philippi. You're a saint if you've asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. And you're awaiting a future glory. Between now and then, well, let's chase humility. We just saw the mind of Christ displayed through humility and obedience, then sacrifice, and ultimately it yields a great reward. Would you stand up with me? We're going to worship. We're going to respond to the reading of the text. We're going to sing our own Christ hymn. You probably know the lyrics of this song. And as we do so, could you double down in your heart and ask yourself, how's your humility? How's your unity? As you chase joy.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to respond with worship, to say, Jesus, you are, in fact, Lord and King of my life. You have all of it, my heart, my mind, my soul, even my petty grudges that I have stuck between me and another one of your followers. I yield them all, the control that those things have over my life. I yield them to you as Lord right now. And we respond and we worship. Amen.